From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go. We're gonna go right into Genesis, um, chapter twenty-nine. So where we left this off is that Jacob had this dream about angels going up and down the ladder. And he said, what does this mean? Uh, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the house of God. And uh, he's on his way to Padam Haran. And when he gets there, uh, he's going to uh, grow up. He's actually running away from his brother Esau. And um, he doesn't have any idea how long he's going to be there, right? He's going to be there six months, three months. You know, it's like coronavirus. How long are we going to be there? Uh, but his dad and his mom said, hey, as long as you're there, why didn't you find a wife? And he says, hey, I can do that. So um, he's on a mission. He's on a quest. He's running away from Esau, his brother, because he tricked him out of his blessing and his birthright. He's running to Uncle Laban. And while he's there, hey, maybe you could find a wife. Now, what's interesting is that Isaac, when Isaac was going to find a wife, his father Abraham went back to the same area and, you know, brought camels loaded with goods and things so that, so that uh, Isaac could find a wife. But when Jacob goes to the same area to find a wife, Isaac cuts him off and doesn't do anything to help him find a wife. So Jacob's kind of on his own. So he's going to have to use his charm, maybe his family name, because uh, it doesn't appear that he's really taken much with him at all. He doesn't have any servants, he doesn't have any camels. He's kind of on a quest by himself. Um, so we'll see if Jacob is able to find a wife. Um, so we're going to pick up the story now in Genesis chapter 29. And we're just going to see where it leads us. So uh, this is this is Jacob, or just Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey. And came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there he saw a well in the open country, with three flocks of sheep near, lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Now, I just, I just have to stop here for a second because when I think of a well, I think of a like a circular, maybe five feet, 10 feet in diameter thing made out of stone that's built up. And then you have a, a bucket that goes down and then you, you, know, you roll it up and it goes down. And this is how I think of a well. Of course, that's more of a modern depiction of a well. Uh, an, old, an old well apparently was just a hole in the ground that they dug very deep and I don't know if they, I don't know what the stone is. Like if they, it's like a swimming pool and they dug deep enough to get water and but you have to block it off so animals don't go, I mean, I don't I have no idea. Um, I guess I could do some research, probably find out what this well looked like, but all a well really is, is digging dirt below the water table. Uh, and as long as you get the water table, you know, the dirt below the water table, then you'll be able to see water and somehow you got to get that water out of there. You use a bucket or if it's close enough to the surface and maybe you, you know, you build a ramp down there. I mean, there's lots of different ways, but the key thing is you want to just get below the water surface. And 
most wells, you know, are are over aquifers, which is a large underground storage of water. So you want to get down below the water surface of the aquifer. If you take too much water out of that, then the then the water surface level goes down. There's a whole science behind this, um, but you know, all they're doing is feeding sheep and people. And so they're not really, agriculture takes the most amount of water. It truly does. Housing, believe it or not, if you replace agriculture with housing, you're dramatically decreasing the water load because agriculture takes a tremendous amount of um, water. And cattle, believe it or not, take a lot of water too because the cattle have to be fed with grain and those that grain has to be to be grown through water. So... Cattle takes a lot, crops take a lot, people and sheep probably don't take as much water. So it's probably not going to destroy the water table that much. All right, so he comes to this well, and there's already three flocks gathered around the well. So he kind of walks up, and um, that's where the story begins. So let's see what happens. Beginning of verse 4. So Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? Well, we're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Oh, my goodness. So what providence. He's going to see Uncle Laban. He sees three flocks of shepherds with three flocks of sheep with the shepherds. And he goes and he starts to have a conversation with them. He says, hey, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? And they were like, well, of course we know him. Of course they would know him because Laban is obviously well off because, uh, well, probably because of Isaac, right? He got all these camel with all these goods. And so, you know, Nahor uh, is very, very wealthy and Laban is very, very wealthy. And so, um, of course they know him. So so he asks, how is he doing? He's well. And by the way, here comes Rachel, his daughter. So this is perfect for Jacob. He wants to see, you know, he wants to marry into this family. And here's here's Laban's daughter coming up. We'll see what happens. So we'll continue reading. Uh, let's see, verse 7. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and then take them back to the pasture. So what do you suppose is going on here? So here you have this guy named Jacob. He walks up to the well. There's all these shepherds with the sheep. And uh, he goes, do you know, do you know um, Uncle Laban? They go, yeah, we know him. Oh, by the way, here comes his daughter. So Jacob's thinking, wow, his daughter. I want some time alone with her. So he says, look, the sun's still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Why don't you just water the sheep and go back out to pasture and give me some alone time with this girl? They're like, nah, we can't do that. We have to wait till all the flocks are gathered, and then we'll we'll see. They said, we can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Hmm, clever. And while he was talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep. He went over and he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and he watered his uncle's sheep. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father 
and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and he kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. So um, Rachel comes with the sheep. Jacob sees Rachel. He runs up to her, kisses her. Now, I mean, this we're thinking hallmark, you know, love at first sight. It may very well have been. But it was very standard greeting at that time to kiss a relative, right? It was it was to establish, hey, we're you know related, um, we can do this. Uh, and so she runs home, gets Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban comes and they kiss and embrace. And he says, "You're my own flesh and blood." Here's a guy, you know, who's not my son. You know, sons can't marry daughters, but here's a, a close cousin. And part of the family, and wouldn't it be awesome if um, if this is a, perhaps somebody who could marry my daughters? I mean, because, or at least one of my daughters, because I need foreigners, but I'm, I don't trust foreigners. So this is a distant cousin, and he's from uh, Isaac. And so why not, you know, see if there's something here? So uh, Uncle Laban, pretty clever guy, so he brings him home. Uh, he... Uh, he embraces him, kisses him, and brings him to his home. And there he tells jo- Jacob these things. And there Jacob tells him, you know, what he's doing and all that sort of thing, probably the dream and all that sort of thing. And Laban said, you are my own flesh and blood. So let's continue reading and see what happens. Uh, and after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, well, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So the plot, the narrative is setting up. Let's see what happens. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Jacob, of course, was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So so now the plot is here. Uh, Laban comes up and says, you know, you shouldn't really work for free. You've been here a month. Now, I mean, at a month, he could go home, right? By now, I'm sure Esau's over everything, but um, he still wants to find a wife. Now, if Isaac had given him a dowry or something like that, he could have gotten a wife. But for whatever reason, Jacob didn't leave with any of those things. He's got to do, you know, got to find a wife on his own wits. Uh, on his own strength of his own, you know, of his own work. And so Uncle Laban says, well, you're going to work, you know, you know, what are you going to do? Because Jacob was in love with Rachel. So apparently has two daughters. Leah has weak eyes. So Leah is not all that beautiful or attractive, but Rachel apparently is stunningly beautiful. And um, of course, we talked about this before, but There's two things that you want for your children, right? One is you want them to marry the person that's going to help them, you know, have a family, uh, turn them into the best person they can be. Um, And then you want, you know, your children to be adored by, I mean, you want it to be a, you know, a relationship where they both love each other. I mean, those are the two things that you want. You want the best person for their character and that you want them to love each other. And uh, obviously, in many, many times in history, the parents would arrange the marriage because they can pick the one 
that is the best for that person, or um, you you know you don't arrange the marriage, you let the child pick on their own, but they may pick the worst person on the face of the earth. I mean, this is this is the constant struggle of life. Blessed is the parent, right? Who when they both come to both come to fruition, one the the kid who's gonna you know, make, you know, be the best person and help them grow in their faith and, you know, in the journey and all that sort of thing. The other is that they're falling in love. So blessed is when they both come together, as it did in my case. I am in love with Jennifer, my wife, but she's also like perfect for me. So I call that a God thing. I don't know if it's a God thing, um, but it's it's just what happened. And um, I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, but I realized that I'm one of the fortunate ones. Now, you can learn to love somebody. I think it's easier to learn to love somebody of character than it is to love somebody who has no character and then you try to teach them how to have character. I mean, I, I think I think the old system probably wasn't a bad system. Um, the danger is, is what happens if you, you know, you arrange a marriage and they just don't love each other. Um, so there was a study done um, a number of years ago. I don't know if I talked about this about cars and apparently um you know the same thing about a car right you pick a car you're gonna love the car you have to decide this at the beginning of driving the car okay um you get to test drive the car so you get in the car and you drive it around you get it for 10 or 15 minutes and then you have to make a decision about one of the most important purchases of your life you know based upon this short little time of driving the car and so the salesman, all he's doing is he's trying to sell the car as much as possible. He's going to point out all the wonderful things about the car. He's not going to point out the difficulties of the car. So you go in, you drive a car, you maybe drive two or three different cars, and you finally you pick one. Now, what's interesting is that research has shown that a high percentage of people, after they start driving the car, will say, this is the best car I've ever driven. I love it. It works perfectly. There is some sort of psychological thing that happens in your life uh, once you choose a car and it's your car um, that psychologically says, this is a great car for me. And so when your parents arrange a marriage and it all comes together and you have the marriage and now you have this relationship, um, you know, if your parents did the job well, and it really is truly somebody that that you think you can, you know, that that has character is going to help you grow, you know, to be the best person you can be. Then, you know, it's the same thing as a car. It's like, yeah, I like this person. This works. Um, but it's harder the other direction to just fall in love with somebody. I mean, why do we fall in love with somebody? We fall in love with somebody, obviously, because they're beautiful, right? Do we fall in love with somebody because their character? Maybe if you have been trained to detect character, perhaps, um, you know, convenience might be another reason, you know, you, you see the same person over and over at work or, you know, at the same, you know, wherever, wherever you're coming into contact with people, you know, you might see a person, you might date them or something like that. Um, so it's, you know, finding a spouse is not the easiest thing in the world. I'll tell you that in the world, uh, because it is, um, because now we we just have divorced the whole. I shouldn't use that word. We have we have separated the fact that you have to have, you know that it's great to have both both things. We want to have a child that's 
in love, or, you know, has affection, or is attracted to, you know, the person that they're going to marry. And also, we want that person to be the best person to help help your child grow. Um, and that and that uh, you know that's that's just the way it is. So uh, so Laban has two daughters. The older was you know I have a sister named Leah. Her name is Malia, but it's her name's Leah. And his daughter named Rachel. And of course, Rachel is beautiful. Leah's not. But which is the better one for Jacob? Hmm? I mean, if, uh, if Isaac were there and he had Rachel and Leah and he talked to Uncle Laban and he said, which of these two do you think is better for my son? Um, I don't know. Like, which one would be better? Would Uncle Laban know which one is better? I mean, Uncle Laban obviously knows that Jacob is very much in love or infatuated with Rachel. And Jacob's not infatuated with Leah because Leah's the older child and she apparently has weak eyes. She's not as beautiful. But maybe there's something about Leah. Maybe she has strong character. Maybe she's an incredibly good organizer of households. She's obviously not a shepherd, right? Because Rachel goes out with the sheep. Leah apparently stays home. Maybe she's a great person. To, I mean, maybe she, of the two, maybe she has the stronger character. Uh, maybe she's more organized. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe she's a little feisty and she can get things done. Maybe the reason why they have Rachel going out with the sheep is because maybe, you know, ra there's not much to raising sheep. I mean, you take them, you water them, and you bring them. I mean, maybe, maybe that's about all Rachel can do. I mean, I don't know. These are questions you have to ask yourself. Uh, but Uncle Laban is a clever man. He's got two daughters, and, and he wants them both to be married. He wants them both to be taken care of. And he's probably thinking in his mind, you know, why does it, why does he have to fall in love with Rachel? I mean, why, why does this have to happen? Why does he have to be infatuated with Rachel? Why does Rachel have to be the beautiful one? Um, and in history, of course, what, remember the, the, the Shakespearean play Taming of the Shrew, right? Um, two daughters, one is feisty and the other one's beautiful and well, let's just, let's just read the story and continue on because this could be like a taming of the shrew. Uh, we'll, we'll read 16 again. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Rachel, a lovely figure. I'll work seven years in return for the younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed only like a few days to him because of his overwhelming love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. Darn it. I've worked for you seven years now. This is time. Now this is interesting also because, um, uh, well, let, let's just, I'm going to, I want to finish this story. So we're just going to keep reading. All right, let's see what happens. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. Now, why would you give a feast? Because in the Old Testament at this time, marriage meant basically yada, right? Sleeping, knowing, making love or whatever. When two people came together, that's the marriage, right? That's the consummation of the marriage. In biblical terms, marriage is that moment when a man or when a boy and a girl come together and they consummate the marriage they come together in in marriage that is the point at with their marriage 
married. Now, there's an engagement. There's a wedding ceremony. I mean, there's lots of steps that come to there. But until they're actually come together, they're not married yet. This is the coming together of marriage, which is fascinating. We think people are married once we sign a marriage certificate. We think people are married once they have a wedding ceremony. But truth be known, the marriage isn't really a marriage biblically. All that other stuff is great, but it's not a marriage until they come together um, in a conjugal way. That is the biblical definition of marriage. And we wrap a lot of other things around it. So the biblical definition of adultery um, is once people come together, whether or not there's a marriage ceremony or whether or not there's a, you know, a certificate or whatever, all that, once you biblically are married to somebody, then doing anything outside of that is adultery. Okay, so just thought I'd point that out. Uh, so, so Laban has a feast. We're going to continue on. So Laban has a f- brought together all the people of the place and they gave a feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, not Rachel. Boy, he's a tricky one. He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. And one morning came, there was Leah. Oh, gee. Oh, you are such, how could you, how could you know that? But, you know, apparently this is just, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you could confuse the two, but apparently they confused the two. Um, So morning came, you know, and he looks over and he's thinking, Rachel, and it's Leah. You know, probably copious amounts of wine were involved in this, in this evening. Because he looks over, he probably has a headache. He looks over, it's like, who what? What's going on? Why do I have Leah? This doesn't make any sense. Oh, so he goes to Uncle Laban. What does he do to Uncle Laban? He says, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob runs to Laban. What is it you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, uh, Rachel, to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban for another seven years. So... There you have the story. Um, Laban wasn't about to let go of Rachel without a price. And the price was Jacob's going to have to work for 14 years now, and then you'll get both wives or get both of my daughters in marriage. And so he does both. uh, And now he's got two women. And I keep thinking to myself, why would you do this? I mean, it's kind of crazy, but... You know, when you're in love and you're dealing with sneaky people, um, you got to do what you got to do. Um, this reminds me so much of Taming of the Shrew, right? I don't know if you've seen the play, Shakespeare's play, but it's basically the older one is is um, uh, is more feisty. She's a shrew, and the younger one is more gentle and that sort of thing. And the, nobody will nobody will marry the older sister because she's so feisty. She's I don't want to say she's a tomboy, but 
but she's definitely, I mean, no man can even get close to her. Um, so this whole, and, and you've got to see the play. It's one of the best plays, actually. We, Jennifer and I, in the summer of 1986, moved to England, and we went to see uh, The Taming of the Shrew in downtown London with Vanessa Redgrave and Timothy Dalton. Um, who else was in that? No, those are the two main actors, uh, Vanessa Redgrave and Timothy Dalton. And it was, it was so good. Oh my goodness. If you've ever seen London theater or New York theater, people that have been playing that, you know, that really are the cream of the crop and they've been playing these characters for years. Um, you, and, and you see a play that's been going on for maybe a year or two, uh, or at least a year, right? Um, they have this, they have it down pat so well and it is so incredible. Oh my goodness. I just, I mean, I love theater because uh, Jennifer, of course, was a theater major in college, so she loves theater too. Little known fact is that when she graduated, she taught drama in high, she taught high school theater. And um, since I was a civil engineer, uh, I built all of her sets. I designed and built, built all of her sets for her. Um, and that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work, um, but it was a lot of fun. And um, so we love theater. We absolutely love theater. And um, so anyway, uh, why did I? Oh, because Taming of the Shrew. So Taming of the Shrew is just basically the story of Rachel and Leah and Jacob. I mean, it's the same story, but it's just different context. Of course, of course Shakespeare was well-versed in the Bible. I mean, my goodness, he was incredibly well-versed in the Bible and wrote lots of plays, you know, that, Different, different adaptations of the Bible. So if you go to see Taming of the Shrew, know that you're getting a biblical story just with different characters, and it's a lot funnier. <laughs> All right, so um, I think we'll end it there. Uh, or will we? No, we'll, we'll just real quickly go one more. We'll, we'll go one more. So when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is now because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So, um, you know, maybe we'll pick this up tomorrow. Because um, having children was so important in the Old Testament. Um, it is even important today. And maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. Why children are such a blessing and why they're so important um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, we'll talk about that tomorrow. So today we'll just end on this note between Jacob, who was tricked. 14 years he's been gone. I think Esau's cooled off by now. They probably think he's dead. I don't know if he sent messages back or whatever, but he did 14 years of hard labor to get, to get two wives. Uh, and now we'll see what happens on that. So I think we'll end it there. Hey, thanks for joining me. Let's just real quickly close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the blessings of this day. Uh, thank you for um, giving us your word that tells us so much about human character and human condition so that we may learn from it. May we grow deeper in our faith because of it. Watch over us until we meet again tomorrow. In Jesus' name, 